Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. we have Brian Waters and he's a licensed funeral director and an embalmer and he's practicing in the state of Indiana of the USA but he's also a co-creator and host of his own podcast called Undertaking the Podcast. So welcome Brian. Shelley thanks so much for uh, having me on it's a it's a pleasure to be with you. I've been so looking forward to this. (laughs) (laughs) I truly have like when you reached out to me I was just like this is going to be so different. This is my kind of world. So oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I'm an open book. Absolutely. I'll, I'll you know, it, it'll be fun. I think it will. So please do share your one inspiring story of your positive change in your life. You know, I tell you, um, it, it all started in, well, in, in the United States, Labor Day of 2018. And Labor Day weekend was pretty much a terrible weekend for my family on the Sunday before the holiday, Monday, uh, my daughter was bit by her dog and uh, my wife wasn't home. So, you know, that, that caused all kind of stress. There's a lot of, there's a, you know, a doctor visit to the ER, uh, you know, several stitches right by her eye. So terrible parent, terrible parent failure moment. And uh, so if I wasn't feeling bad enough, the following Tuesday after that uh, holiday on Monday, we were scheduled for an ultrasound, and uh, as a funeral director, I, I my time is never my own. It's always there to be taken or used by somebody else within work and those in need, and that's fine. That's what I signed up for. So I had missed because so my wife and I were expecting, and I had missed all of the ultrasounds, all the appointments, everything, and I was excited because this is the one I get to go to. And we go to the hospital, we're getting an ultrasound and yeah, I'm a big dumb guy. Sometimes things don't register right away. Well, the, the ultrasound was on my wife's belly and I'm staring at the screen and I see a baby. And of course I'm an excited dad. This would be child number two. And I, you, you know, you didn't hear that, you know, that you were expecting yeah. and it didn't register until the nurse kind of looked at my wife and said, Oh honey, I'm sorry. And in an instant, in a minute, we were thrust into a situation that I, I deal with every day, but from the other side. And now I'm walking the path that so many of my families have walked and I'm, you know, I've got a death in my family, an unborn baby. And I didn't even know what to do. I mean, I was, I couldn't speak basically for most of the day. And I suppose my story is is really about a grief journey and and I suppose learning that grief can be awful sneaky. So uh, right at the same time in 2018, that September, we were launching Undertaking the Podcast and I was able to dive into something and completely distract myself. So I didn't go through, and, and there is no really normal grief or there's no normal grief journey, but it hit me hard at the beginning for, you know, several days. Um, we had a procedure um, because, you know, baby was still in utero and we didn't have the options of doing services. 
we just didn't have the options of really knowing the gender. I mean, it, even though we were pretty well along the way, 20 weeks or so, and uh, um, long story short there, what we did, I chose to do was plant a tree in our yard, and that's what we did, but I was able to, I suppose, distract myself for several, several months, and then in the in 2019, as you know, the first couple months come in, I started noticing that I'm not right. Like, I noticed that I was overwhelmingly sad, and I do have to say, I I do enjoy a good pint. <laughs> um, and I found a good pint or two would really bring those emotions to the front. And and I'm sitting there thinking something's wrong. This is not right. I don't feel normal. I'm not motivated to do, frankly, anything. And I'm like, this is wrong. And so I just started reaching out to friends and, and some, you know, some people in the community that I trusted and started asking questions and say, what, what is going on with me? And I, I had people tell me that, you know, from one side of the spectrum that I've got a really bad problem because, you know, it all kind of tie in, tied into having a pint to the other side of the spectrum saying, oh, everything's fine. Just carry on, you know, no problems here. But I think it was really talking with people and really searching out information that I didn't know that I needed and didn't know. I don't, it's really even hard for me to put, but the biggest piece of advice that I had was given to me by a local uh, minister. And he said that when he joined the ministry 30 some years ago, he was given the advice to seek counseling or therapy as a preventative measure because his field of work is going to be so difficult dealing with spirituality and life and death, same as a funeral director does in a way. And he said for 30 years, every month he has gone and he spoke to somebody. Well, as a man and in America, that's almost an admission of defeat to do that. Well, I took that advice and it was absolutely most amazing positive change for me. I mean, it was, it's so overwhelming and hard to explain that just sitting down and take, taking an hour a week and focusing on yourself. This is not something I was used to doing. It, it, it was just, I suppose, something in my life to where I just put myself aside and carried on, you know, completing task after task after task and doing very little work on myself. And that little piece of advice, and I think reaching out to others and kind of pulling the group <laughs> it was was positive. And then I, then I found that positive in that information, you know, in the advice that I was given. And I found what worked for me. And it was really sharing with others, but that self-introspection really started to help me turn that grief corner. Bless you. So as you say, you deal with grief and loss and death in the family all the time, but when it actually came to you, you couldn't apply it to your own grief journey. Yeah, in a way that's right. Um, again, I because I was able to distract myself and I, there was a saying in one uh, funeral director television show on HBO years ago that funeral directors are really brilliant at putting their own feelings in a box and burying them and <laughs> kind of a way that held true to me and I didn't really notice it at the time uh, as as funeral service as funeral directors and embalmers we we're able to kind of compartmentalize what we're doing versus 
the emotional toll that it has on the people that we're working with. Because if we walk the exact same path with every family, we're going to be a train wreck. So we're able to compartmentalize it. But then when you compartmentalize it in your personal life, you're just, uh, <laughs> grief is a sneaky thing and it's going to come out one way or the other. And I think my coping mechanisms for my job really probably delayed my, I don't know, the, the actualization of what really happened. So after like you had the baby loss, you obviously go back to work. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. My wife just told me the other day that I was back at work the next day, which I didn't think wow. that I was. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think that I was, um, you know, that, that week is kind of foggy. Cause I know we found out on a Tuesday, we had a procedure Friday and I know I took Tuesday off. Uh, like I said, I, cause I was not <laughs> words and me were not getting along until late, late that Tuesday evening. But apparently I went to work Wednesday and maybe Thursday. Um, yeah, it's still such a blur. Yeah. But you see, as a wife, we remember these dates and things like that. So she's probably right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so how is it after like, you return back into a job that deals with death and you're kind of in this numb stage of grief? How is life then? Does it, every time you deal with it, does it come back up for you? Or No, it really doesn't. But it did bring to the forefront for me, uh, you know, going through that, you know, that process and understanding what it was like for me, even though it will be different for others, I had a better understanding of what the person sitting across the table for me is going through. And I think it helped me communicate and relate with them that, um, you know, you're not going to know how you feel. And even I don't know how they feel, but there's some sort of connection, even unspoken that we can build on when I'm trying to help them through this process. Bless you. So tell us, you know, what is it like being a funeral director? I can't imagine. I mean, I've had grandparents die. We've had to go to funeral directors. But what is it? I mean, what was your average day? I have no idea. Yeah. So for me, I'm in a small rural community. So my community is maybe 1,800 people in the town, um, probably 100,000 in the greater community. But it's a, it's a small slow paced day where I'm at. I'm not having deaths come in every week. Although some weeks I may have five or six deaths. I may oh, go, wow. I may go weeks at a time without any. So I wear multiple hats in my role. I'm not only the funeral director and the embalmer. I am the chief bottle washer and car washer and lawn mower. Uh, I, I do everything within this funeral home. I, the, the graphic designer, this, you know, all the secretarial work. I do all of that. So I find myself getting pulled in multiple directions. Um, but it, it's nice being in a small town community. You know your people. You know, you know we, we've always said that in a small town community, you, you bury your friends, everyone else goes somewhere else. And to a point that's pretty true, I mean, the deaths in the world of funeral service, they are a little bit more personal because I know their names. I know their families. I know their kids. Um, where in a big metropolitan area, you may have zero connection to a family. So yeah. yeah, my daily life could be something like today where I'm getting caught up on office work and paperwork and phone calls, doing a little podcast work where 
a busy day could be where I'm, you know, bringing a deceased into our care. We're doing the preparation. We're meeting the family and then completing all those tasks that go along with their requests. Hey, that's fabulous. It's just, I was thinking while she was talking, I was like, that's kind of beautiful that you know everyone. But then that also makes it hard, surely, because you think, oh God, it's so-and-so's mum who I went to school with. And it's, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's kind I, of beautiful I, for, the, for the family, maybe. It, yeah, this is the only way that I've ever known it. I've not worked in a large metropolitan area. And I would, I prefer it this way. I think when, when families and, you know, the dead become a number and an assembly line, then I'm out, I'll go sell cars. Um, <laughs> so as long as I have the freedom to do what the family wants and what I think can help, then I, I think I'm in the right spot. Bless you. And what do you observe like when other people are going through loss? What's your, what do you notice most about the grief journey? Um, Honestly, it's, it's all across the board. It's, um, we have some folks that, uh, you know, some of their grief is anticipated. I, I suppose we call that anticipatory grief. They've been grieving their loved one as they've been dying over several years. And we have other folks who, who are in that same process, but completely deny the fact they're going to be dying. And then they die. And then they're completely surprised, although they may have been terminal for many, many months or years. Um, one of the hardest things that I see as a funeral director, because I sit at a table and I talk with the family that's left behind on what is to be done now. Uh, we have a job to do as funeral directors, and that's to get the dead to where they need to go. And that's either the grave, the fire, or whatever oblivion we choose for them. Um, and I think by getting the dead to where they get to go, we get to the living to where we need to be. And that can take many different shapes and forms, no matter what. But I think individually we have certain needs and we have a hard time expressing them when a loved one dies the hardest thing that i do as a funeral director is sit at a table with a family that their loved one has instructed them to do nothing you know and we all we all hear people say that when we're alive oh when i'm dead just throw me in a ditch or throw me in with the dogs <laughs> and you know i think we're we're showing our fearlessness or carelessness about something that is a very serious situation but we do we do this we do the same thing with birthdays. I did with my birthday last year. My wife's like, what do you want to do? Oh, nothing. Don't, don't you worry about me. Right. Yeah. You know, we all kind of do that. So that happens in funerals and life and death too. And when I'm sitting with a family at the table and they've been instructed to do nothing and I can see it on their faces, they want to scream out to the world and said, mom died. This sucks. And I want to tell everybody that. And they don't feel that they have the permission and, so we're, we're carrying out orders from the grave, basically. Uh, that happens a lot. You know, we're, we're following the wishes of the deceased. And no matter what we do, we're not going to do the dead any good or any harm by what we do. It's, it's all for the living. We're the ones that got to live through it. Yeah. And I get that. I often think when people don't make arrangements when they die, there's almost that denial that they're going to die when death's really our only certainty in life. Because my husband used to be like that. It's like, oh, do what you want, love. It's like, seriously, I'm going to be grieving. You know, give us a clue. Whereas I, having worked in like, you know, nursing for many years and dealt with a lot of death, I'm like, this is the song I want. This is the poem I want. And don't you dare burn me. <laughs> oh, right, right. I think that's good. To, I think that's good to have that conversation. That's what we recommend, you know, through our podcast, through what we do in our communities. We're encouraging conversation, whether it's you know, organized ahead of time and paid for it at a funeral home is not necessarily the main importance. It's the conversation is what what's important, we think. 
Yeah. So I'm on a mission, Brian, to get the world just to say the word death, because I always say like loss and, you know, just gone next door. And I'm like, just say dead. Just say it. Come on. <laughs> I love they, they've just gone next door. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How scared yeah. are you going to go? You know, you're going to go and put the kettle on. You're like, oh, best not. You know, Uncle Terry might be in there. Just say <laughs> that they're dead or they're deceased. But people don't like the word, do they? Yeah, you're right. You're right. I uh, And even me as a funeral director, I kind of force myself to use that word when I, as a funeral director, one of my jobs is to help families compose an obituary. So they'll provide me the information and I'll, I'll be the poet. And I force myself to use the word died. They died. And uh, not necessarily half the time, but a good share of the time families will change that. Can we, you know, in the euphemisms or whatever they are, um, you know, passed away, passed yeah. on, went to be with the Lord. Um, Went next door. I love that. <laughs> Maybe Pugged it's just it a Shelley thing, Brian. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she thinks so. Probably not. <laughs> but yeah. they do. You know, like when you have kids and they say, well, just, they say they've gone next door or they're just sl asleep. I mean, I, oh. I can sleep really well, but seriously, you know, if they've gone for 18 years, you need to start coming up with a new excuse. Oh, right. Right. That, that, that is the huge one. I think most people should know it. Um, that yeah, they're not sleeping. They're, they are dead. And, you know, we've been very truthful with our daughter. Uh, my wife lost her grandmother a few years ago. And even my three-year-old daughter, two and a half, three-year-old at the time was a part of the process. She was there to, you know, see grandmother one last time. She was actually there for the, you know, my wife came over to paint her nails and do her hair. And my little two, three-year-old was was around the whole time and you know she was there while we put her in her casket which my daughter said that's a that's a beautiful cabinet and but why are we putting her in the cabinet um yeah th that was one thing we've always avoided and I was just talking with a funeral director friend the other day and um we were talking with their kids and our kids and um he had lost a grandmother and we were quizzing the kids on what they remember and even his kid said Oh yeah, she she just went to sleep, and I could just see them cringe. You know, parents cringe. <laughs> Who told her that? You know, and they're kind of looking around. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help, does it? Really? No, no. I mean, well, it's going to tell your, terrify your children. I don't want to go to sleep. You'll never see yeah. me again, right? <laughs> it's bedtime. They're going to be like, hell no. <laughs> bedtime. You know, get, you know, keep that casket away, right? Yeah. Can you imagine, especially when they're younger and they have their little wicker baskets next to them as a baby, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So that, you know, that that's, I think, one that not just funeral directors, but all kind of professionals have preached over the years. Don't say sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> or next door. Don't say or, next door. <laughs> or next door. <laughs> well, for me, grandmother was next door because I lived next door to the funeral home. And, uh, so, you know, my daughter was like, where's grandma? Well, she's next door right now, but she's not going to be there in a day or two. So <laughs> maybe I had a premonition all those years ago. And that's why I say it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you. So obviously you had a positive change. This is it a vicar said to you about seeking counseling and having this preventative measure, like a talking yeah. therapy. So what other important message you have around, you know, when people are trying to make positive change, particularly after times of loss, death? Well, I, I think, I think just as general human beings, we have a hard time saying that it's okay to focus on ourselves for a minute. We're always too busy with something else, whether it's family or work or something, we're focusing it on things for other people. And we don't take a lot of good time to consider 
ourselves and our and what's going on in our lives, how we're affecting ourselves positively or negatively, and really doing that that personal work to, I suppose, if you want change, you know, you, you need, to, I think you need to look at that. Otherwise, if you're not analyzing, this is something we even talk about in our daily lives and funeral service. We, you know, there, there's like three tenets that I've come up with that we've got to talk about it. We've got to think about it. And, uh, um, and then the third one just left. So I, can't, I, don't, I don't think about it enough. Um, <laughs> But mainly those two things, you know, ta- thinking about what's going on and then talking about it. And then you're going to, it's just, it's that personal introspection that I don't think we do often enough outside of our daily lives when we really want to focus on ourselves and give ourselves permission to say, okay, maybe I'm not okay, or maybe I am. And how can we move forward and, and encouraging people to tell your story to others too. I mean, we don't have to be on an island. We can, we could use our friends. That's what they're for. They want to help us. Um, sometimes we just have to open up and tell our story. Yeah, I love that. I wrote, well, I wrote in my book, but I still go on about it now. And I always call it mess to message. When you get to that stage in your life, when you turn your mess into a message to help someone else, because someone, you know, could you move forward, even if you're not dealing with it, your life is still changing and moving forward. And when you get to that point where you can talk of your story and help someone else know, you know, that life goes on, it's just a beautiful thing, isn't it? Yeah. I've always described grief as kind of a, like a backpack that uh, when you lose somebody, you're, you're going to wear this backpack, you're putting it on no matter what metaphorically, and uh, you can never take it off. So at first it's going to seem exceptionally heavy, like you're hauling a heck of a pack. And then, some moments will pass where you don't even notice that it's there. But I think for the remainder of your life, it's always on. The heaviness will come and go over time. And I think there's things that we can do to, you know, lighten the load a little bit. And well, being around people and sharing and opening up can absolutely lighten the load. Do you see people who are like the opposite of that, where they've almost like nursed someone for many, many years, or they've been in an abusive relationship. And when somebody dies, they have like a sense of relief and a new beginning, a rebirth. Do you see that side at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. There, um, sometimes death brings a lot of relief and, um, folks can feel guilty about it as well to where, you know, if they're in the main caregiver and really their, their purposes in life is just making their loved one comfortable. And that, that situation can carry on for years. And when they do, when they do die, um, there's a sense of relief there. Uh, The family can finally go "Ah," and exhale a little bit. And sometimes they feel a little bit, they regret that they feel that way, but that's some natural feelings that come out. Yeah. I see that from time to time. Yeah. There's some great work, some research by, I think it's Dr. Bonanno, and he speaks about this other side of sadness is his book. And it's really interesting. So it's for people that have been married for many years. It's people that have been carers, people that have had like an absent father and things like that. But then, you know, then the average grief where you're together and your husband dies kind of thing. And he takes a whole new look on it about how actually it's like a spiritual enlightenment. There's a joy, there's a relief. And it's kind of undiscussed, a bit like death itself, actually. It's kind of undiscussed, but he's saying that actually grief can be quicker than what we've been told in the past. And that's what's 
his belief. I think he's probably had a bit of a hard time saying it, yeah. but I find it fascinating. Well, I, th I think I think the human race kind of got bungled up on uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief <laughs> when I, I don't even think that was her original intention was to really ingrain that into us that, you know, we're going to walk these through these individual steps and in maybe this specific order, or even if you mix the order up, it's more of, it's, it's, it's even more confusing than that, that you've got those basic five, add probably 20 more different ways you can grieve, mix them all up in a bag and randomly pull them out. And that can be how you feel today. I think that's a lot better. So I had to study her work as part of my nursing degree. And I was like, oh yeah, this is quite simple. Five things, plonkety plonk, let me go meet Mr. Smith next door, you know, one of my patients. And it's not because I think her book was actually based on, she worked with terminally ill people. So people mm -hmm. who were dying and it was actually the grief they were experiencing of the loss of their imminent life, you know, their ending was coming. But everyone sort of took it on and this is what grief's going to look like. And it doesn't. I mean, I qualified nearly 20 years ago in nursing and we was told there's like three types of grief. It's either normal, it's absent or it's delayed. So either you're crying, you're not or you will do in the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was like, you know, so surely when you're out nursing, they're going to tick one of these three boxes. They'll either be here now, later in life or not at all. But if we look at it now, it's like 17 different types of grief, like the anticipatory one you said earlier, where people mm -hmm. like living for longer, aren't they? So then it's almost like a slow death where we're sort of doing medical advancements and the interventions. And there's so many griefs around now. I mean, does that make your job harder? Um, it can. It can. Um, the, the thing that really makes my job difficult is when communication breaks down. And some folks will get in a set of grief to where they they can't explain themselves they can't explain their wants their needs or they don't feel that they have permission to and that's one of my big jobs as a funeral director is to let folks know you've got permission to do what you need to do and chances are you're going to think it's crazy when the rest of us go eh, probably not that crazy but that's just how you feel <laughs> at that point in time and there's that i guess i can kind of call it the death fog of the first few days to where you feel lighter than air, your thoughts come in and out and just holding normal conversation is difficult. And I'm meeting with those folks right away. And um, that's one of the first things I do when I, when I, when I meet someone who's lost a loved one, I tell them, listen, uh, I know you're probably feeling rushed right now. And most people are, they feel like they've got to do things quickly. Yeah. And my first thing is to calm the situation down. Everyone take a deep breath. I want you to know that there's no hurry from me. Okay. That's beautiful. If you got to take time, let's take time. And I'm going to show you ways that we can take time. Okay. And that's, and if I can lower that stress level instantly, then it kind of puts them on a little more solid ground to talk about what they want to do. That's really beautiful. <laughs> Because well, it, you know I mean? it's like really hurried. I know like when my grandparents died and it was just sort of like, well, we've got to quickly get in there. Where's a favorite outfit? Invite people. Got to get this date. You know, and yeah. can't do it on a Thursday because that's market day. Traffic will be horrendous. And everything's diddle diddle dirt. And you're like, oh my goodness. Because realistically, they're not really going anywhere, are they? And no, it's just no. us. I think, yeah, it's more and us with our logical living brain thinking about like, we need to do this. You know, Got to do it now. Yeah. 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 And and I think, you know, because folks don't 
discuss even even their death stories of like okay this is what happened when my mom died this is the process we don't really talk about that much just in general so when this happens to someone they have these beliefs that they pick up from hollywood and from what their their cousin told them and some of them are just outlandish it's just you know i, I don't want to say it's crazy but it's just it's not something that's normal in my world but you know they're thinking you know we've got to get this uh body to the crematory or to the grave right away or we're gonna have problems um yeah we've we've got to make arrangements instantly or who knows you know there's all kind of different things that people focus on and kind of distract them from you know taking that breath and saying okay they're dead now what yeah i'm just wondering as as we talk out aloud because you get like this grief brain or the death fog as you said and it's almost like when you don't know what to do with your life because part of your life has stopped maybe it's having a purpose maybe that's why they get so into the funeral do you know what i mean because then you've got a purpose and you've got a duty and you've got something to do maybe that's why we always feel so hurried and, and i think people naturally want something to do they want a task to do to check a box and it I think that kind of keeps them from dwelling on the real raw emotion of, Hey, your loved one's dead. And I think that's just kind of human nature. We move from task to task to task to kind of keep progress moving forward. And uh, that's one of the things that I'll talk to my families about. I'll say, okay, you know, watch, you know, we have using the example of like older parents and one of them is dead. I'll tell the kids, I'm like, watch mom after the funeral. Because right now she's got stuff to do. She's got friends yeah. to call, hair to do, dress to lay out, and the funeral to attend. Once that's over and she goes home and that, and then everyone leaves and they're home alone, that's the saddest time of a funeral, I think. Everyone's gone and your loved one's gone. And then you sit there and you go, now what? Who am I? What am I doing now? Yeah, and it is the hard part. I'm currently, my second book is about grief. It's about the grief recovery. And I've set up a death cafe. I quite like death, you see, Brian. And, uh, and so I talk really openly, but it is exactly what you're saying. It's just how other people deal with it. And it's just, you know, my branding on Facebook is like Shelley F. Knight, life goes on. And I know that's often the hardest part. I know that I don't say it lightly, but it is to encourage people, you know, when you do have that silence, just try and sit with it. Yeah, don't always fill that gap, that void. You know, just think, why does it feel the way it feels? Yeah, there's something to be said for silence. You don't have to always fill it with noise. Yeah, I think you know stuff just comes up. Maybe you don't want stuff to come up. Maybe that's why we're always doing and not being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So you you seem to speak so beautifully to your families, the family that are left behind. Do you have like positive affirmations that you use for yourself or? with the grieving you know um one of the things that i really try to convey to my folks is because i've seen a lot of blogs recently about what people say to folks at funerals and how upset that can make people you know there's a lot of things people say and you know they make a lot of them i hear make me cringe too you know they're in a better <laughs> place yeah, really that place is the casket or the grave is it really better <laughs> um or they're um you know it, it was God's will. There's all these things that can be said that can be really upsetting to folks. And yeah. one of the things that I say to, to help folks turn it into a positive, take a possible negative and turn it into a positive is look at, look at this from this standpoint is what I tell my folks. Folks are going to come up to you and they're going to say something. 
that know that they feel very awkward and they're very careful with what they say and they're going to say something that they relate to and it may not be the best thing for you but no matter what they say if you just translate it into i care about you if you just that if you hear everyone say that no matter what they say i'm caring about you i think it's going to be a more positive experience because bottom line they are they do care about you because first off they showed up which is the best thing that we can do to anyone whose family member has died show up you know give them a hug um not right now six feet distance but um (laughs) um, but in in saying something and even if you don't say the right thing you're you showed up and you you took the time where the rest of your community is you know having a cookout or playing xbox they didn't take the time to show up well they you know your friends did they may not have said the right thing but they showed up because they cared and i've had families go I can't believe, you know, I, I, I never thought of it that way. Um, you know, cause they've all heard the things that people say and yeah. you know, it makes them <laughs> cringe too. Um, but that will, that, 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 that's just a whole positive thing for me is look, just being able to break down the situation and look at they're here because they care and they really care about you. They love you. And even if they say something stupid, they still care. <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> Oh, bro, I could speak to you all day. I just, you know, like, I just love talking about death and grief. But the fact we have this humour as well, I could just speak to you for, well, days probably. I have absolutely loved connecting with you. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for, uh, you know, talking with me. Bless you. So how can people reach out to you? Because they probably all want to, going to come to you. Um, Oh, yeah. So you've got your podcast. Yeah. You guys can check us out. Uh, We're called Undertaking the Podcast. And you can check us out wherever you get you know, your, your podcasts. Um, but you can email us at info undertaking the podcast.com. And we, we just do this. We sit down, we talk to folks. There's no script. We love sharing stories. And, you know, at, at first our podcast is a little funeral service, funeral director, life heavy, but we've started, we don't have any rules for ourselves. We want to hear all kinds of things. So we've been bringing in folks that are telling us stories of their their loved one's death and how that affected them in the process and i think we can our goal is not necessarily our goal but our core belief is that we can learn one thing from every human being and it may be positive or negative but we can learn one thing and we're trying to find those that's fabulous and are you on social media as well like facebook yep you can check us out on facebook undertaking the podcast or on twitter at undertaking pc and on instagram at the same undertaking pc and LinkedIn as well. Yeah, that's what that's that's where most folks get in touch with us is uh, sending us a message on social media. Brian, as I said, I've absolutely loved this. I could speak to you for hours, and just thank you for your time. Keep doing what you're doing. I've absolutely loved this. Thanks so much, Shelley. It was a pleasure talking to you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from shellyfknight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelly F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelly F. Knight and you've been amazing.